what we're going to talk about is, is something that is, is very important in the church and all the things that we have going on. Is there anybody in here that's puzzle people? Got a couple puzzle people. Can somebody tell me why you're puzzle people? I am, I am way too ADD for puzzles. Um, uh, they, <laughs> we had to go to this basic training boot camp um, for, uh, for planting churches, and they, they had to sit down with a puzzle, and I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. This is what I'm supposed to be doing for planting a church is putting a puzzle together. And, uh, of course, they were trying to teach a lesson through it all, and they took some of the pieces out, which really frustrated me uh, on top of all the other things because they took out some of the edges. And, of course, if you know anything about putting puzzles together, what's the first thing you're supposed to do? No, you're supposed to look at the picture to see what you're trying to create. They also, they also took the box from you, so you had no idea what you were creating. They just put a bunch of puzzle pieces down. So, so I wasn't real super happy about that. And Luckily, in my group of people, there was there's some older people that were big-time puzzle people, and I said, it is all you. Here you go. I will coach you however I can. I will delegate. I will show you pieces that I think might go somewhere. And, uh, and the great thing is, is that um, what they were trying to teach us, and I think what we, what we try and do as well, is understand that the church is a, is a puzzle. There's not just one piece. There's a picture that we have, and we all make up the pieces to bring that puzzle together. And uh, it's, it's funny because a lot of people don't know what the picture is. And the picture is actually found in the book of Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, it's in verses 42 through 47. And today we're going to be in both Acts chapter 2 and Acts 15. So if you want to open up your Bibles there, I'd appreciate it. And as you're, as you're opening up to that point in time, um, we started in the book of Acts when we were at the over, still just meaning as a, a Bible study at First Baptist Rio Rancho. Um, if you're new with us, we're actually a, a mission of First Baptist Rio Rancho. And um, when we were meeting over there, we had six to begin with and kind of grew from there and had upwards of 30 to 40 people in our meetings. And, and as we sat and talked, we talked about this this book of the Bible. We talked about Acts because it is the picture of the church and we want to know exactly why we are creating a church. We weren't, we weren't coming out here to be a church because we didn't like what was going on at First Baptist. We didn't come out here to be a church because we, uh, we wanted to have it our own way or anything like that. We wanted to, to reach out to a community that really didn't have one and that was our, our purpose in, in being here and still our purpose in being here is to reach this community and reach this community for Christ. And um, When we look at the overall picture of the church is given to us in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation here. It says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's a, that's a powerful passage. And I'm not sure if you've had a chance to read through the book of Acts. I would love for you in the next two weeks, because this is called A Place for Everyone. And, uh, and next week we're going to be talking about well, I'm going to be talking about why I love this church and why I love the, the ability to be able to come and meet together and be able to pray together and praise together and, and, uh, and tell you exactly what I love about what we're doing and what God is doing through us. 
And so I encourage you to come back next week. But as, we're, as we look at this picture, as we see the picture of what the book of Acts is, can, can anybody tell me any church that really looks like this, that really has grasped this idea of doing everything together, of loving the church together and enjoying it and giving to one another and sharing with one another and meeting with one another. Is there any churches out there that, that you've seen that do that? And, and I can honestly say I can't think of any, including this one. You know, God has given us this picture. He's given this picture uh, that they worship together as a church. And, you know, one of the, one of the great songs that, uh, that we even sang this morning is that, you know, I stand with arms high and heart abandoned, <laughs> and I'm standing in the back, and everybody's like this. Did you hear what the words of the song said? I stand with what? Arms high. Yeah, well, you know, maybe you forgot to put deodorant on. I don't understand. I don't know. Whatever it might be, you just want to do the, you know, that. You know, kind of keep it pinched down, whatever it is. But it, it's funny. I just watch a little bit, and I sit in the back, and i just like, you know, and, and I'm not saying that nobody had a, a specific worship experience with God and things like that, but I just... I think about those kind of things, and sometimes we walk into a church, we walk into this church, we walk into any church, and and our attitude is, and and I do it as a pastor, there are many, many times that I walk in and i got a chip on my shoulder, and I'm like, I don't want to be here. I'm called to be here, I'm supposed to be here, it's my job to be here, but I don't want to be here. This is wrong, that's wrong, that's going to bother me. The video not playing right, that bothers me. And it's not your fault, Blaine, you know. I saw you giggle over there. I know you're like, oh, no, that's not. It's, it's not your fault at all. And, and the thing is, is all those little things you, you put in your brain before you walk in, and then you come in and you go, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you. Glad you're here. And inside you're like, I really don't want to be here, and I wish you weren't here either. You know, and, and you know, there's just that. I'm just being flat honest with you. There's, there's days that I do that. The song selection I don't like, the, the message I don't like that I put together, and those are the days that God's like, you know what? You're not in charge. I am, follow me, and see what I can do through all this. And, you know, as I walked in this morning with all the, all the little things and, you know, had to drive all the way home to get the computer and come back, whole way there, I'm like, God, you're funny. That's all I could think about was, this is just a big joke to you. You think this is great. You're just giggling up there and pointing at me, and, and I'm just sitting here sweating profusely, going, why in the world did I forget the computer? Now everything's going to be off, and... There's little things that were, and some of you may not notice them, but I notice everything. And once again, that probably goes to the ADD thing and just uh, OCD. And I'm like, oh, what, what, you know, that, that screen's just barely tilted just a little bit. And I, all those little things become right up in your brain, you know. I wonder if during that first church, during that first set of meetings, if Peter was there going, hey, guys, you know, the Lord's Supper table is supposed to be like this. And I don't know if it ever got to that point. I think they knew exactly what they were there for, to worship God and to share in Him together and to pray together and, and just to be together. And what was the result that we saw because they were there, because they had carried out that very mission? What does the very last part of that passage say? And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Because they were doing what God had called them to do and they were worshiping God it just flowed out of their life and people were getting saved because of it. And what an awesome thing that is. And how exciting is that? It's just, there are days that I don't want to be like that. And there's other days I don't want to be like 
be like the way that I am sometimes. What does it take for us all to be together in what we're doing? What does it take? What does it take that this isn't just a, a part of your checklist to say, yep, I did my Sunday thing, God marked that off my list, and we're good to go. I'll see you next Sunday. I got my spiritual buffet taken care of today, uh, and I'll, I'll starve for most of the week. Maybe I'll fill myself up during a connection group for a second, and then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make it till next Sunday. How do we come together? The church that we see here was a church that they loved. They loved going to church. They, they loved serving the church. They loved supporting the church. How do we get to that point? How do we get to where we, we love our church? How do we get there? How do we get to we love serving? You know, I, I am so, so thankful for those of you who, who are able to serve, for those who are working over in the classrooms and missing what we're doing right now, and those who helped set this up. I mean, this is a school gym a couple hours ago, and, and they, they transform it into a, a building that's much more... And, you know, we didn't have as many people here this morning. And, you know, I can only imagine what goes through their heads when they're getting up and getting here by 8 o'clock in the morning saying, oh, yeah, got to set up again. And we, we work through these things in our heads. And, you know, how do we get it where we love that? And how do we get where we love to support the church? Instead of saying, well, when it comes right down to it, here's the, the little bit that's left over after I've written out all my bills. It's the first check that we write out to say, God, I'm supporting what you're doing, how you're doing. How do we get to that point? How do we focus on all the things that, that they focused on and, and loving one another and loving outsiders so much that they came to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and they were added to the church daily? How do we get there? I think what we have to do is we have to remember something. I think we have to remember that church isn't for church people. Church isn't for church people because the natural gravitational pull that churches have is that church is for church people. I mean, even if we don't want it to be that way, that's what we kind of swirl around. It just gets pulled in, that the insiders get pulled closer in and the outsiders get pushed further out. And I don't know how that happens and I don't know why that happens, but I do know that we need to make sure it doesn't happen with us. I need to, we need to make sure that this isn't a, a, a club that we get to come and hang out at every Sunday, and then we go off and do our own thing, and, and that's kind of it. We got, like I said, our spiritual fill. And, uh, you know, so many churches, and, and I'm not pointing fingers at any of them, um, because, you know, like when you, people say, when you point a finger, there's three that are pointing back at you. It's so easy for us to become just about us, just about what we're doing and how we're doing it. But how do we change that? How do we make it happen so it's not just about us? It's not just about church people and you know when i say the word church people i guess the the way i want to describe it is, is church people are the people who are at church all the time and they're the ones who know the words to the songs and they're the ones who can find the book of the bible faster than i can when i say open up the book of acts and i'm searching for it and you guys are already there um you know um there's there's the church people you know them. You're the ones that know how to park and where to get the coffee and, and all those kind of things like that. That is the church people. They know the ins and outs, and um, they don't understand They don't understand sometimes the outside mentality. And some of you in here, maybe you're visiting for the first time, maybe this is the second or third time that you've been here, and you do understand the outside mentality because you walked in and you felt a little different. 
you felt maybe a little bit uncomfortable. And that's completely understandable. Has anybody ever here uh, tried to invite a friend to church and your biggest worry was that you had to take him to church? I have. Because when you're thinking, hey, I'm going to invite them to church this week and we're going to do this, but I hope so-and-so is not singing. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know the special music that gets up that in any other case in the entire world, they would not be allowed to have a microphone and sing in front of a, a group of people. But because they know somebody or because they're the daughter of the chairman of the deacons or whatever it is, they get to sing. And you're like, please, God, just don't let that happen. I'll never forget. That happened with Scott and I when Scott was doing Disciple Now. Uh, before we, he moved out here and stuff, and he was a part of a band, and, and we had Disciple Now, and I'm like, yeah, come on over and be a part of the service with us after Disciple Now. And this guy got up and sang, and I'm like, Scott, I'm sorry. I apologized before he even started because I knew what it was going to be like. And, and, you know, th- that's what happens sometimes. We, we get to where we understand, and I know you're kind of giggling inside because you've had that same exact thing happen. And, and we start worrying about those kind of things, <laughs> And we shouldn't. We shouldn't say, oh, why does that happen? Well, it's because it's a church people thing. You just don't understand. And, and, and that is where we kind of get stuck at. If you say to yourself, if you say to yourself, we're going to do this thing and, and all this kind of stuff, and, and it's, it's going to fall right into place just like I know it will be, you might be a church person. And you might be able to understand why that person's singing or those kind of things like that. But how do we, how do we help non-church people. I didn't say unchurched, just non-churched. The people that don't really get into the flow of all that kind of stuff. How do we help them feel comfortable and feel welcome and feel like they can be a part? How does that happen? Like I said, the gravitational pull of every church is towards insiders. It just naturally sucks us in. And if we're not careful, church becomes specifically for church people. And when we communicate that, if you say church is for church people, it kind of leads us to say that Christianity is for church people. And then when you say that Christianity is for church people, it leads to that Jesus is for church people. And none of us in here, I would think, believe that. But yet that's what it communicates to non-church people. How do we avoid that? How do we keep that from happening? How do we reach out to those people? Because, you know, when, when a non-church person walks in, What's the, what's the thing that, that we want to make sure that they understand? That Jesus died for them. That Jesus loves them, and we're the body of Christ, and we're showing that love to them. You know, I have friends, I have neighbors, I have relatives that all think God is God. They believe that, that Jesus is a son of God. They just really don't want anything to do with church. Why is that? Why would that be the case? Why would somebody say, you know what, I love Jesus, but I hate his bride? I mean, if anybody said that to me, I would punch him in the throat. I love you, but I hate your bride. Yeah, exactly. And I assume every other man in here would do the same. Why is that? Why is that the case? I think it's because sometimes the idea of the church people thing just becomes that way. We become those birds on that wire that bicker and fight with one another. And when somebody new comes in, it's like, how fast can we get them out of here? They're ruining our balance or whatever it is. And it's not intentional, but it happens. And, you know, the fun thing is, is that we know it's not the case. We know 
that Jesus died for everybody. Why? Because John 3.16 tells it very clearly. For God so loved the what? The world. Not for God so loved the church people. Not for God so loved the good people. He loved the world. And that included all the sinners that were in it, including you and I. And that's a great thing. And, you know, as we, as we say, well, this gravitational pull pulls us in and it kind of knocks out the outsiders is we need to figure out how to break it up and how to, how to make that not happen. And the cool thing is, is we're not the first generation to struggle with that. As a matter of fact, if you flip over to Acts chapter 15, if you flip over to Acts chapter 15, you'll see the church is, is basically brand new still. I mean, it's only a short time later. The guys that are a part of this church had literally walked with Jesus, you know, side by side physically, not just saying, oh, yeah, I walk with Jesus. They literally walked with Jesus. When they had the question, what would Jesus do, they knew because they were there and they saw what he would do. And as we see that, as we see in Acts chapter 15, we'll see this thing called the first business meeting. Anybody ever been to a church business meeting? Yeah. Not exactly exciting, unless one thing's happening. What's that? A fight. You know it. It's when there's a fight going on, when there's people that are disagreeing, when there's grown men bickering and arguing about something in the name of Jesus, and, uh, and, and in, in the love of Jesus, and, and they're fighting over something that's so dumb, it's ridiculous. But that's the reason why we go, because it, it's just free entertainment. And, uh, or, or we're a part of one of those dumb sides, one of those things like that. Th- that's why we go to business meetings, and that's what we're a part of. Well, this, this first church business meeting was, was very interesting. Probably not quite as interesting as the, uh, the business meeting that Scott and I, we, uh, we got to meet with a pastor this week, and he was sharing with us about their business meeting from last week and the big church fight that the church got into over the placement of a door. Yeah. And, uh, and we just were like, we just want to be here to encourage you and help you and try not to laugh at you. Because, because that's just terrible that, that a church would fight over the placement of a door. But once again, when it becomes about church people and things like that, there's things like that that, that they fight about. Well, this business meeting is, uh, is all about who is the church for. Who is the church for? So as we read, as we look into this, I want you to take a look at Acts chapter 15, verse 1. And uh, I'm going to give you a, a little forewarning. And that is that this is a, a little bit graphic, but we have a mature enough ad- audience in here that, uh, that we, can, we can talk about this. So uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 1. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, I'm not sure if you just heard what the requirement for salvation is. Um, I had literally thought about bringing up a cigar uh, clipper and, uh, and just keep doing that so people would understand, but I thought that that might be inappropriate, and my wife agreed. So, um, so we just left that alone, and we'll just leave that visual in your mind. But, uh, you know, there, in order to attend church, in order, in order to be saved, in order to get into heaven, you have to have a surgical procedure. Now, my buddy uh, Cooper back there, he had a surgical procedure on, um, on Friday, so he is all set and ready to go, uh, according to this law, according to this teaching. And, and you know, uh, what a crazy, crazy thought. And this is just after. I mean, this wasn't, they, they saw Jesus get crucified and, and raise again from the dead, so they understood it, and yet they still twisted things around to say, hey, you have to follow the old law in order to be saved. 
And it, it's just kind of one of those crazy things. And, and uh, you know, I'll guarantee, I will guarantee you that, that when we, we, don't haven't, we don't do a membership class yet. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to do a partnership class more than a membership class about partnering along with the church rather than just being a member and expect expect things in return, you're going to be a partner and, and partner with us to continue to grow this church. And that'll be, that'll be starting soon. But, um, you know, when we have that partnership class, I will guarantee that will not be one of the requirements, okay? So you can invite your friends um, because you can only imagine that uh, when, when the guys started showing up and, and these people who were getting saved, these people who were being saved daily and all those kind of things like that, when they showed up and they said, okay, it's time for membership class, I'm pretty sure there's probably only women and small children in the membership class. I'm just going to take a stab at it. Because, you know, when there's a surgical procedure involved, it just doesn't make any sense. And it sounds dumb and we can get, giggle and laugh about it, but this is what they were teaching. They were teaching you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. With that requirement, I think there's some people that are a little upset about it. And as a matter of fact, if we look into verse 2, Paul and Barnabas came off of their missionary journey to be a part of this. And it says, Paul and Barnabas disagree with them, arguing, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. You know, they came off of this, this missionary journey just to try and settle this dispute. And, uh, and the reason why is because these are the guys that knew. These are the guys that knew the correct answer. These are the guys that knew what was going on. And they called Paul and they called Barnabas in. And there was apostles that were they're a part of this. And they all came into this business meeting. And they go down to verse 4. It says this. It says, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. And they reported everything that God had done through them. So to start off the business meeting, or to be a part of this business meeting, Paul and Barnabas say, hey, you know, this is what's going on. We have all these cool things. We're leading Gentiles to Christ. Some great things going on. And then in verse 5, in verse 5, it says this. It says, but then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up. Now, I'm not sure if you're new to Bible study or not. If you are, the Pharisees um, were basically the evil guys, um, that weren't really evil. They knew all the laws and all those kind of things like that, but they were, they were the, the really wicked church people. And, uh, and they stood up. They're the ones who, uh, they were the ones who helped crucify Jesus. They're the ones who brought him along. So what makes it kind of funny to me in my mind here is that Pharisees who had basically helped kill Jesus were now a part of the church, which meant that somewhere along the lines they killed him, and then they came to the, re- the realization that, um, uh, whoops, we were wrong. And so now they're Christians. And it was kind of one of those things, and, and there's only one way to really explain that, is that that's not because of the death of Jesus Christ, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And their minds were changed and their hearts were changed, but not entirely. Because they still had this little thing that they, they held on to. Because it says they stood up and they insisted that Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the laws of Moses. They stood up and they argued with Paul and Barnabas. Now, I think there's a few people that I, in this world that I don't think I want to argue with. Paul would be one of them. Um, you know, his, his, he wrote you know, a, a good chunk of the, of the New Testament, and we, we go off of what he's talking about in a lot of the things that we do. And as we look at that, they get up there. and um, So they're arguing back and forth. As a matter of fact, verse 7 says, At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood up and addressed them as follows. He said, Brothers... You all know that God chose me from among you and some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. 
God knows people's hearts and confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Now, Peter basically says, you know, guess what? God told us to reach out to everyone, not just the church people, not just those who were born into the the law and know the law and have been taught the Torah since birth, not just those. And, you know, the Jews thought differently. The Jews really thought that the Holy Spirit was only given to them at that time and not to the Gentiles. And and the Gentiles basically had to kind of change to a Christian Judaism in in order to, uh, you know, in order to, to be changed. And, and we look at that, and Peter says, you know, salvation's not just for you guys. Salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. And it goes on in verse 9 through 11. It says, he made, God made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through what? Faith. So why are you now challenging God? Why are you now challenging God? How dare you try and change God's rules? And add one more to it all. By burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. And that yoke is is really saying, you church people who have known the, the Old Testament and all the laws. And when I say all the laws, you know, we went over the Ten Commandments over the... Over the summer, really, um, there's about I think 630 something. It's well over 600 laws that were written off of the Ten Commandments. Okay, if we would have done that every Sunday, uh, we would probably not be done before the church was done. Um, you know, the uh, the whole idea was that all these guys knew all these laws and everything like that. But Peter says, guess what? You know all those laws. And you still can't follow them. How can we put on the Gentiles' shoulders? How can we put on their shoulders that they don't even know the law? You've been studying it for years and years and years of your life. These guys don't even know the law, and you're saying they can't become Christians until they learn it all? When you can't even follow it and you know it all? And, of course, there was probably a good bit of silence at that point in time in the meeting. It was quiet. It was like, hmm, okay. You know, Peter made a point there. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, We believe that we are all saved the same way by the what? Undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you've ever walked into a church and felt like you had to be clean before you could walk into it. Like you had to be at a certain standard before you could go into that church. That's kind of where the Gentiles were getting pushed into here. That the church people were saying, hey, you have to be at this level before you can walk in and be a part of what we're doing here. And there's, there's churches that are like that, unfortunately. And it's because that gravitational pull has kind of desensitized them to what's going on on the outside. And we see it and we feel it. But Peter makes it very, very clear. We are all saved the same way. We are all saved the same way. And how is that? By undeserved grace. That means it's nothing that we even did. There's nothing we can do to get this. And like I said, you know, there was this, there was this quietness that probably came over it until the big dog. There was a big dog at the time in the church, and he, he stands up and gives his final judgment. And if you see there in, uh, in verse uh, like 17, the big dog's name is James. Anybody know why he's the big dog? Anybody know who he's related to? Jesus. 
He's the brother of Jesus. Now, I'm not sure how many of you guys are skeptical, skeptical about Christianity. I don't know how many of you guys are skeptical about the whole idea of who Jesus is, that Jesus being God and things like that. But imagine this. Imagine it's your kid brother. And he says, I'm the son of God. No, you're not. Can you imagine trying to convince your brother that you're the son of God? In all honesty, think about it just for just a second. Try and convince your brother that you are the son of God. And in this process, you know, James didn't become a follower of Christ right away. Understandably so. But finally he does. And he understands all the things that are going on. And in the problem, the problem here that, that James is seeing is he's watching this whole thing from the outside and he gets to be the ultimate judge. And this is what he says in verse 19. He says, And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I think that might be a good statement for all churches. We should not make it difficult for people who are trying to turn to God because sometimes we throw so many rules at them before they can ever get there. It's like saying, hey, before you go into the hospital, you need to be healthy. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. And, and uh, you know, we can't make it difficult. We've got to eliminate those difficult things. And some of you might say, well, what about the cross? The cross is a pretty difficult thing. You're right, it is. And I'm not saying we eliminate the cross by any means. But what I am saying is when they get to that point where they can make the decision on their own whether to accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross for their sins or to reject it, that's up to them. But if we make it difficult for even them to get to that decision, that falls on us. And we need to make sure we're not making it difficult. We need to do everything we possibly can for people who are turning to God to make it easy so they can experience intimacy with God and they can experience a closeness of God and they can move closer towards the cross so when they come to that point in decision, their decision isn't based on things that we've done, but it's based on things that Jesus has done. And the great thing is, is that at the end of the meeting they sent out in verse 31... They sent out uh, a letter to everybody saying, hey, we've come to a final decision. And will somebody be happy to read uh, verse 31 for me? Sterling, could you read verse 31 for me? There was a great joy throughout the church. Did it say anything about, like, especially for the men? No? It should. Um, the, uh, the idea that everybody got very excited. Everybody was, was, was ready to go and ready to, ready to reach out to these people w- was awesome. And, you know, th- they said, okay, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to be able to reach out to these outsiders? Well, we need to make it easy for them. When we take a look at our church, at our body, what are we doing to make it easy for people? What are you doing to make it easy for people that are on the outside to feel welcome? Because we've all been outsiders at some point in time. I mean, I've visited churches. Um, I've visited churches that I'm supposed to speak at. I've visited churches that are churches of relatives. And I just feel this weirdness when I walk in. And I would, would be considered a church person. So how does it feel for a non-church person? We need to remember that. We need to think about those kind of things. That church is for everybody. That people need to understand the only question they need to be asking when they walk in isn't what is going on here. They need to be asking is who is this Jesus Christ and why does he love me so much? 
That's the question they need to be asking themselves. So I've got two challenges for you. One is for the church people that are in here, and you know who you are. Believe that the local church is for everybody and that we have to make it easy. Or on the other hand, we can't make it difficult for people to come to God. And two is, is if you're a non-church person, understand that no matter how difficult some church or church person may have made Christianity to you in the past, that it's not. It's not a difficult thing. Jesus Christ died for you. And he was raised again for you. And there might be some person along the way that has made Christianity really that bad to you. And forget that, okay? Forget that stuff and understand who Jesus is. That Jesus died for this world and he died for you. And he wants you to have a relationship with his father and that's why he did it. Those are the two challenges I have for you today. If you are a church person, stop getting in the way. And if you're not a church person, understand the church people are getting in the way and understand who God is. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us understand these things. And Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our place and took our sins upon that cross so that, Lord, we could have a relationship with you. And Lord, I don't know where people are in here. I don't know. Uh, maybe they have their fake smile going on. Maybe they, they don't uh, feel comfortable being in here. There, there's people that are visiting. There's people that have been here since day one. God, I don't know where people are at, but God, you do. And you know how you're challenging their hearts and how you're speaking to them. And, and Lord, how this is all working out. We want to make it easy for people who don't know you to come closer to you. Please, Lord, work in spite of us when we are in the way. Work in spite of our technology. Work in spite of all the things that we have that go on. Because, God, you know and you understand who we are and where we need to be with you. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Now I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have Scott sing a few few songs uh, to, to kind of follow this up. And I don't know where God's working at in your life. I really don't. And uh, the great thing is, is I can stand right here. We can pray together, and we can make it a big thing. Or you can just come before God and say, God, you know me. You know my heart. You know where I'm at. If I'm in the way, move me. Help me to follow draw me closer to you. I don't know where God's speaking to you at. I'm going to come down here. I'll be more than, than willing to, to pray. There's a couple of things uh, that you need to know about. Uh, maybe, maybe you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior yet. Maybe you haven't come to that point because somebody has stood in the way. Or maybe you're standing in your own way saying, I, I can't give my whole life because I like my life the way it is. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe God's working on you in that area. Maybe you've given your life and you're like, you know, I know that there's this thing called baptism and, and people get baptized because it's a physical profession of faith that has nothing to do with actually getting saved. But you want to tell the world that you've been saved and you've been buried with Christ and raised again. We're going to have a baptism on, I believe it's September 19th. It'll be from 1230 to 2. I know that some of you are like, oh, wait, that's a Sunday and that's during the fall, which means football. That's what God created DVRs for. Um, we want you to be a part of that. We want you to be there with us. And we want you to, uh, 
either celebrate with us those who are getting baptized, or maybe you just know that God is calling you to get baptized, and that's the Sunday you need to do it on. I don't know where God's speaking to yet, but it's there. So as we stand and sing, if you want to come forward, please do. If you don't, and you just want to pray right there at your seat, and you just want to talk to God and see where God's leading you, do that as well. Just be open to His leading.